Well, good morning. It is a delight to be here. I talked to Dr. Dwight this morning, and uh, they're getting ready to come back. He said he was jealous. He would rather be here preaching. I said, well, too bad, Dwight. My turn. Hey, where's Caleb, by the way? Oh, man, I miss him. I'm going to go home and crawl in bed with him and hug him. No? Okay. Well, send my love to him. And so, uh, for those of you who don't know me, first, uh, how many of you believe in miracles? Amen. Yes, you can shout that. How many of you believe in miracles? Amen. Today, this woman and I celebrate 51 years together. And that's a miracle. If you know me, that's a miracle. We've raised five children. We have 17 grandchildren. Thank you, my love. This woman has a heart for the women of the kingdom. She has the inner healing ministry that that transforms women. It is amazing. And she is a seer. And one thing I've learned in 51 years, and it took me a while to catch this, There were things I would do, and she'd say, Chuck, I don't think you should do that. I would do it. I told you. (laughs) Chuck, I don't think you should do that. I would do it. I mean, I told you. Now I listen. Now I trust this girl. It saves me a lot of problems. So, honey... We met in seventh grade, and it took me four years to catch her attention. As juniors in high school, we started going together, and we've been inseparable since. Love you dearly, my love. Well, I am honored to be here. I'm honored to try and add something. Rick, I want to know if you stole my notes and you were reading a little bit of my notes. I promise I didn't. I was meditating on that same verse in John. That was a verse God gave me last year as my verse for the year. You will do greater things than these because I go to the Father. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's our Father presenting to us. So I'm honored to be here today. I appreciate the leadership team. How many of you know you have a great leadership team? Amen. Amen? I mean that. I'm not trying to puff them up. You have a great leadership team here. You know, we always see the beauty in this setting of the church. But believe me, When you're in leadership, your office becomes a dumping place. Is that true, Pastor Rick? Amen. It's true. But you know what? That's why we do it. I live to see lives transformed. Live to see God touch lives that are a wreck and need mended and need healed and need touched. And when that happens, it's worth all the aggravation that we go through and the ones that we lose and the ones who don't get it and don't receive it. It's worth it. So we're talking about resolved for revival. <clears throat> How many of you know, and this is very important for the message today, how many of you believe that one person can change the world? Amen. Amen. Show, raise your hand. So you're saying to me that you believe that your life can change the world. Is that true? It is absolutely true. And you have to believe that. I tell leaders this. If your vision is so small that you can achieve it by yourself, it's not big enough. 
If your vision isn't so large, if God doesn't breathe upon it and help you in it, you'll never achieve it. He wants to partner with his bride, his virgin bride. That's who we are. Thank God for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and his cleansing power. And so he looks for the one who is willing. You know, it's interesting. I I listened to all the messages, and all of them were really excellent. How many of you listened to Caleb's message? If you didn't, you need to get on the website and listen to that. It it is one I've heard messages all my life. I've been in ministry over 40 years. It was one of the most excellent, anointed, and clarified messages I've ever heard. There was truth in there that was absolutely amazing. And so if you haven't heard that message, and Pastor Dwight, he's always anointed, always passionate. I appreciated Rob's message last week about sowing, faithfully sowing. And that comes right along with the call of who we are. See, part of the body of Christ doesn't realize this truth. And that's that we are to present or we are to represent the Lord Jesus to the world. In other words, Jesus is seated on the throne. He completed his work. His work is done. He was sacrificed. He he died. He was resurrected to glory. He led a train into heaven. He sat down at the throne, and now he says, I want to partner with you. And Luke, it says, after he had sat on the throne, it said everywhere the disciples went, he went with them. Because the spirit of God is in you. The spirit of glory is in us as his children. And we need to be a people who radiate love and light in a way that they look at our lives and they say, there's something you have that I don't have. What is it? And it is him. I, I, I was on a plane one time going to Africa, I think, I don't know. And we were standing up. We were just people coming on the plane. We hadn't been seated yet. And I was just, I always stand because you're going to be seated for 12 hours. And I'm standing here. I just got into a conversation with a gentleman. We were just simply talking. I don't even know what we talked about. When we got done, he looked at me. We're getting ready to sit down. He said, you're a Christian, aren't you? I didn't say I was a Christian. I didn't even say anything about Christ. I didn't say anything spiritual at all. I just simply valued him and talked to him. And so we have the responsibility. That's why our life and our testimony and our walk is so tremendously important. If we vary in our walk and people look at a distance at us and they say, well, that's a hypocrite there. We hurt that person's journey to the Lord. That's why we need to live a valid, supernatural life because we serve a supernatural God. And that's a tremendous responsibility. God could do all that he wants to do. He is sovereign. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. He can do whatever he wants to do. But what he wants to do is he wants to partner with you and I so that we can live in revival. You know, I know you've heard all kinds of definitions of revival. I'm a simple man, and I love simple pleasures. Revival, to me, is simply taking that which was alive, and it is growing dim and apathetic and moving away from God 
to breathe upon that person and bring them back into the presence of God to where they are confronted with the glory of God in a fresh new way that their transformation would continue to be ongoing. You see, I fear that we sometimes we look at a spot in our life when we are revived and touched. 30 years ago, I received the baptism, and we see it as, a, as an experience rather than a lifestyle. That we might live the glory of Christ in those moments of chaos. How many of you have had moments of chaos? I'm a doer, I love to do things. I'm in the process of redoing my garage. I built our house in 74, took two years to do it, I remodeled it twice. I had never drywalled my garage, I decided to drywall my garage. Had a guy in to do the drywall, so I came home, and on Thursday I began to paint it. And I was kind of driven. I knew it needed two coats, and I wanted to get those two coats done in one day. I started early in the morning and was getting the coats on. Started the second coat probably around 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And so <clears throat> it's going along well. And about 10 o'clock, maybe 9.30, I knew I had about three hours to go to get done. And I was going to complete that if I had to go to 2 in the morning. So I'm getting a little bit weary. I had a full tray of paint. I just filled up. I had one small wall, about a third of the garage, the width to do, and then about two-thirds of the other wall. That's all I had to do. I'm taking my tray of paint. I walk, and I'm right by the steps. I catch on the steps, and you know where this is going. <laughs> I face planted right into the cement. Paint everywhere. I just filled the paint tray. Paint everywhere, all those the cabinets that were there in the middle. You know what I did? I got angry. And I, I didn't plan this. It was spontaneous. And I didn't cuss, just so you know. I honestly, I did not. I didn't even say a Christian cuss word. <laughs> But I'm laying there, paint all over me, and I, I said this, I said, I am not going to quit. And it went beyond the pain at this point. I said, I am not going to quit. I will never quit. Until the last breath of my life declares that Jesus is Lord and that he loves that person I'm talking to. I oftentimes ask leaders, what would it take for you to quit the journey that you're on? If I gave you a million dollars, would you turn away? What would it take? You need to figure that out because that's exactly what the, Lord, what the enemy is trying to do. He's trying to cause you to quit. We only lose when we quit. And you can only, the only way the enemy can make you quit is if you agree with him. And that's through the good and through the bad. And I know that as believers, and there are lots of, of years of experience here, all of us have a story. And there are times when we wanted to quit. And that's what the enemy is trying to get us to do. <clears throat> is there a scripture in here somewhere? Open your Bibles to Isaiah. And I want to I begin with this. <clears throat> this scripture first. 
Isaiah 60, verse 1 through 3, says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. That was written some over 2,000 years ago. But it applies to you, church, right now. Do you realize that? The promises are for you right now. And so it says, the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness to people, but the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. You radiate light whether you know it or not. The enemy knows who you are because you carry the glory of God. He knows who you are. And the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. Now look at this. The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. That is your inheritance, beloved. Let me just share a poem with you just quickly. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way. Is life busy? The busyness erodes away at our life. How many of you find it hard to get away and and sit for an hour before the Lord? You just have to do it. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, condemning my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Finish it. Only what's done. Only what's done. Only what's done for Christ will last. I've been meditating on that lately and thinking about that. Probably because I'm getting a little bit older. You know what? Think about all the things you've achieved. Think about the things you have done. Will they last? Only what's done for Christ will last. That house that I built and I remodeled twice and poured myself into it and I love my yard and I manicure my yard. We were on vacation in Albuquerque last week. We were gone 11 days and I came back and it looked like my yard was, what happened? Decay. Somebody's going to bulldoze that house someday. Won't last. Only what's done for Christ will last. So let's look at Isaiah's life for a moment. If we are going to be revived, if we are going to have an influence, if we're going to be effective, if you want to be who God has called you to be and walk out your journey and your destiny with him, then there is an absolute necessity that must happen in your life, and that is you must come to a place of confrontational, transformational relationship with the Lord. I can't live on Pastor Betty's vision. I can't live on Pastor Dwight's vision. I can't live on my wife's vision. I have to have a vision from the Lord myself. A vision that draws me to him. 
a vision that challenges my life to the very core and a, and a, a confrontation that transforms me and changes me to think differently and to walk differently and to move differently as he would walk, think, and move. Think about that for a moment. That's the challenge of our life, that we live and think and, and, and uh, move and act like Jesus acted. Oh, my goodness. There are times it doesn't work, but thank goodness for forgiveness. But that's the process. And so <clears throat> we, we have Isaiah, and you're familiar with this passage. This is an amazing passage. Isaiah was an amazing prophet. In fact, Isaiah actually was a well-positioned prophet. He was a nephew of the king. And in this vision we're about to see, it radically changes his life. And so let me read the verse, this is chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe was filled, his robe filled the temple. Above it stood Sarah. Each one had six wings, with two they covered his face, and two they covered his feet, and two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole world is full of his glory. Let me stop just for a moment. Prophetically, Isaiah is one of the the, the most clear and distinct prophets in the Old Testament. You realize that some 800 years before the virgin was, was impregnated with the, by the Holy Spirit, that he prophesied that. It's interesting that in 19, the 50s, the Qumran uh, scrolls were found, and in those scrolls, they found almost a complete book of the book of Isaiah. And they found that it was within 100 years of the resurrection of Christ. The one, the previous closest one to that was a thousand years before. And this one was that close to being written to win, or at least to prophetic words. And, and it was almost perfect in line with everything that we've had. And it just speaks of the distinct detail that God has to guard his word. And so when we see in Isaiah's life this confrontation, that type of confrontation should be desired by all of us. Every one of the men and women in the Bible who God chose and raised up, you know what their response was? Almost universally. I, I, I can't speak. I know, Moses. Gideon said, I'm the least of my family and my tribe. Thou mighty man of valor, Gideon. You see, we need to align ourselves with how he sees us and not what our experience has forced us into. We are who he says he, we are. And we need to agree with him. With Ezekiel, we showed Ezekiel fire and wind and brightness. Jeremiah, he said, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. I ordained you and I sanctified you to go to the nations. He, what was he doing? The Lord was sealing in them the integrity of their call. 
And each of us, your call is no less than Jeremiah's. It is no less than Elijah's. It's no less than Abraham's. Whatever that call, whatever that assignment is, is given to you with divine authority, divine integrity, and divine character. And you carry that. My sons, I have three sons. When they would leave as teenagers, you how teenagers get in mischief. My wife tells my sons about my exploits. I don't tell. I said, you tell them about your own exploits. Don't tell about mine. But when they would leave, I say, remember who you are. You carry the Hamilton name. We carry, beloved, the name of Christ. And we carry it boldly. We carry it with grace. And we carry it with, hopefully, passion. And so it goes on. Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. In meditating on this passage, which I have for a long time, it is amazing to comprehend what the Lord is showing Isaiah. I mean, it's, he pulls back the curtain and gives him a complete panoramic view of what's happening in the throne room. He does the same thing with Ezekiel. How many of you have had similar experiences like that? I know some of you have. If you, and if you don't, it's something you can desire and you can seek the Lord for. One of my constant prayers, Lord, I want to know more about you. Reveal more of yourself to me. And I think for me personally, I carry the heart of the Father especially for men. And that by itself is enough of a revelation to carry. But the Lord is willing to reveal himself in greater ways. And so all this vision is shown to Isaiah, and then look at this, verse 5. Woe is me, for I am undone. The Hebrew word is destroyed. You come into the presence of the Lord, you're going to be destroyed. You're going to be challenged and transformed in a way that you'll never be the same. And it all comes out of your secret place. Your willingness and your desire to meet with him. Woe is me for I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. This is the same man, the same prophet, who in the previous chapter gave the seven woes that destroyed and brought judgment on the nation of Israel. And what is happening? In his transformation, God turns that around in a way what he shows Isaiah. Isaiah realizes, my God, I'm a man of unclean lips. He was a prophet who lived by the words that he spoke. He said, I'm unclean. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Now, I want you to see something. Earlier in the passage, it talks about the Lord's name, and it's Adonai. And now in this spot, in two places, it says, I have seen the Lord of hosts. Who was Isaiah seeing? He was seeing the Lord Jesus himself. The Lord Jesus is the commander of the host of the armies of heaven. And he was revealing himself to Isaiah. 
in this way that he might see the power and the authority, the beauty and the, and the, the wonders of God seated upon his throne. And it shook Isaiah to his core. <clears throat> now this is what's interesting. The angel came and brought the coal and placed it on his lips. You see, Isaiah realized he fell short. He realized that he was a sinner, just like you and I are. But thank God. Thank God that he, he does the work and has done the work for us. It is a complete work. And we step into that. And he robes us in his righteousness. And so he brought the coal. Now, it's interesting, the coal, the word is actually ceremonial stone. And in the temple, they would take the ceremonial stone, they would take it, and they would place incense on it. They would take, they would take that, then they would put it in the fire. Now, I think it's fascinating that this offering of incense first, it was around the ceremonial stone, which wasn't destroyed by the fire, but gave off incense to the Lord and was an act of worship representing the, the, the life of Christ and his sacrifice. And this ceremonial stone gave off that incense just as the church in our intercession and in our worship of him gives off an incense to him that pleases him and is a blessing to him. And then we see this. <clears throat> I heard the voice of the Lord saying, now the, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are about to have a conversation. And the Lord was about to set Isaiah up and trick him. They were having a conversation. They said, who are we going to send? He wasn't talking to Isaiah. Isaiah heard this. He said, who are we going to send? What does Isaiah do? Out of his revelation, out of his confrontation with the Lord, what does he do? He said, here am I. Send me. I remember <clears throat> Pastor Dwight and I were on a committee to elect there to find the next president of Harvest Preparation. And we thought we knew who the man was. It was a person, Reuben Beachy. Many of you know Reuben. Uh, Don had, Pastor Don had hand-mentored him and prepared him. And so we had some conversation with Reuben. And I had a private conversation. I talked to Reuben. I said, Reuben, I said, are you the man? Are you the one to be president? And he said, no. Now, now Reuben is a precious man. He's a precious friend of mine. He's a spiritual man. But he, he's a gentle man who didn't want to tell Don no. He didn't want to offend his spiritual father. So at that point, after that conversation, I hung up. And we thought the process was done. We thought we were about to present Reuben. I called Pastor Dwight. I said, Dwight, I just talked to Reuben him the conversation. And Dwight said, oh, no, I, I started to call. I said, Dwight, I said, I was trying to rob your pastor. I'm sorry. but I said, Dwight, why don't you do that? You see, when I met Dwight in 1999, it was a divine connection. We have been joined at the hip ever since. 
I knew his passion. I knew his heart for the nations. I said, why don't you do this, Dwight? He said, why don't you do it? <laughs> and, I, and we just chuckled. But at that moment, the Lord dropped something in my heart, a little hook. And I couldn't get that hook out. And I finally, that was in February and March, I wrestled with that, and I talked to Pastor Don, and I said, in eloquent terms, I said, I'd like to tap, toss my hat in the ring. The Apostolic Council accepted that. When they accepted that in March, Joseph Lacavo, the bishop from Eldoret, Kenya, who was a man with a nationwide mantle, came to me and said, Chuck, he said, it's your responsibility to take harvest preparation to the next level. I didn't even know what level we were at, <laughs> let alone taking us to a new level. And two weeks after that, I was in my office, and I was, I was just kind of walking around, talking with the Lord. And I just said to the Lord, I said, Lord, do you know what you're doing? I mean, really, Lord. Do you, I was so overwhelmed felt inadequate, but thank God, in our inadequacy, he is the provider. He doesn't make mistakes. And he partnered us together with the Dwights of the world and the Isaiahs of the world and, and the Redeemers of the world. He partners us together that we can work together in a unity that brings glory and honor to the, the kingdom of God. I don't know if you realize, I'm sure you have to if you've heard Dwight speak at all about Burundi, there is an absolute miracle happening in Burundi. Absolute miracle. The Lord is, has taken Isaiah and he's changing that nation. I, I, we have 180 schools and over 6,000 students there now in four years. We can't keep up with that. They want more and more. We said, look, we have other places we need to take the Bible school, Isaiah. But God knows. He just simply is waiting for us to say, here am I, send me. Out of that confrontation with him. And I don't know the whole story, but I understand that Pastor Jack and Pastor Sandy have just recently made that same statement. You see, they're, they're not spring chicken. But they've, they've accepted, and well, look, they're both 39. I'm trying to dig my way out, Jack. But they're still being stretched. Amen. Is this stretching for you, Pastor Jack? <laughs> Absolutely. But they're still saying, here we are. Yeah. Send me. There are times, and, I, and, and I, I don't hold this, my wife doesn't want me to go. Because she loves me. I'm glad. <laughs> but I have to go. I have to go. And she releases me to go, sometimes grudgingly. Just a little bit. <laughs> because she wants me there. And so I, Isaiah said, here am I, send me. But, but here's what I want you to see before we go to the next passage. And I'm, these, these are my opening remarks for today. <laughs> Look at Isaiah's message. He said, go to these people. They're stiff-necked people. Go to them and, and listen to what it says. 
Go to the, tell these people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. He sent them to, with them to the nation for a message of rejection and judgment. I don't want that message to give to anybody. But look at the message that he gives to us. Our message is, is that the, the power of God and the revelation of God is life-changing. Paul said it this way in Romans 1.18. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to those who will believe. To the Jew first, and then who? To the Gentile. You and I. That's our commission. That's the message that we have. We have the message of hope. And so out of this, this revelation of Christ, here comes a confrontation with Christ. Only what's done for Christ will. And so we come to the Samaritan woman. Now I know that Caleb preached on it. I know that Pastor Rick touched on it. But I want to share a couple of thoughts with you. Maybe a little different than what you've heard. When we hear of the Samaritan woman, what is the first thought we have? Oh, man, here's this immoral, sensuous woman, has five husbands. What the heck is wrong with her? I'll tell you what's wrong with her. She hasn't had her confrontation with Jesus yet. But there is something in this woman that, you, that I, I've just recently seen in this passage that to me is absolutely amazing. How many of you have watched the series The Chosen? And you watch the one, the, the one that was, I was, Lynn and I just watched that series when we were on vacation. And when they talked about this passage, I just so appreciated, you know, the, the scripture doesn't give us a lot of details about things. Thank goodness. I didn't want you to know the details of some of my life. Some of it was before Jesus wasn't good. But the way they handled it, I thought it was excellent. They talked about her first husband who abused her. Her second husband, who treated her the same way, and mentioned even that her third husband was a good man, but because of her shame and because of, of what she had gone through and her rejection and all those things, she couldn't love him. And this was a woman who was totally isolated from society, rejected from society, and yet Jesus said, I have to go to Samaria. I have to go. The disciple says, you don't want to go there. We don't go to Samaria. He said, we're going today to Samaria. I have to go to Samaria. Why? Because there was one that he wanted to touch. The Samaritan woman. There was one who was about to change her destiny. He wasn't changing it. He was just revealing it to her. So think about these things. He, he begins a conversation talking about living water. That comparison the physical to the spiritual. And he asked for a drink. You know what's interesting? Neither one of them drink. He doesn't get a drink of water, at least in the passage, he doesn't say he does. He doesn't get a drink of water. She doesn't take a drink of water. But he begins to talk to her. Now, obviously, she is shocked. Why would you talk to me? You don't know me. Why would you? If you knew me, you wouldn't talk to me. I do know you, and that's why I want to talk to you. And so he's talking to her about water. Can I have a drink? And he talks to her about living water. 
Now, what's interesting to me with the woman at Samarian Well is that this woman entered into an intellectual dialogue that revealed her own desires for God. When she heard just about the, the introduction to the living water, she said, can I have some of that? I want to drink of that living water. I'll take that. Right now, I'm drinking stale water. My life is filled with stale water. My life is stale. My life is one of rejection. My life is one of isolation. If God is there, he's the only one that I can look to and rely on. And Jesus said, I have something if you'll drink of it. It will transform your life. And it goes on, and she begins to talk about worship. She said, well, where's worship? We worship here. You worship in Jerusalem. Jesus steered away from that. Do you notice that? That's a key thing. He didn't enter into the dialogue and, and, and the debate of that. He steered her away from that, but there was something in her. She, she understood something about worship and that God was worthy to be worshipped, and there was that little seed in her that was crying, how do I worship? Where do I worship? What does that look like? Can I worship a, a woman of my background? Jesus revealed to her what worship was. It was a place of the heart. <clears throat> and then she opens, continues dialogue and says, well, we, we know about the Messiah. <clears throat> she knew about the Messiah. She said, I know the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he'll, he'll teach us all things. Now at this point, these things are falling into her spirit. She's being touched and challenged. And all of a sudden, she jumps up, drops her water jars, and goes to Samaria. She's going to go and have a crusade. Who wants to have a crusade with a woman who has had five husbands? No, the revelation that Jesus gave her of himself was so powerful, she was able to step out of that shell of rejection and isolation of what the world had placed on her. She shrugged that off and stepped like a new little sapling growing in the sun and said, I'm going to go and tell the message. I'm going to bring revival by myself. And it's the first city in the Bible, especially by a woman who was brought and evangelized by this woman. That's why Jesus had to go to Samaria. There's some Samaritans in this room. You need to shrug off the preconceived ideas that others have placed on your life. You need to shrug off and hear the voice of the Lord for what he has for you because he has a great destiny. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only what's done for Christ will last. Isn't it an honor to work in his vineyard? You know, this isn't the work of the vineyard here. This is the work of discipleship and teaching and training. The work of the vineyard is out there. And you know, the good thing is, I know 
that Redeemers has that heart because Pastor Dwight has that heart. You know, I so appreciate the, the broadness, the wonders of God and who he is and what he does. Pastor Willard had a confrontation with the Lord that changed his life and ministry. He saw differently, he acted differently, he began to move and minister differently. Somewhere in that process, there was a young man named Dwight that came to be the youth leader. A young man who was a rising, shining star in the airline industry, making lots of money and headed to make a lot more. And the pastor saw something in him and said, I want you to come and be the youth pastor. Oh, and by the way, it's about a 75 or 80% cut in pay. <laughs> Alston can tell you something about that. What did Dwight do? Yes! He intended me, yes! Because he saw in it his destiny. He saw something in there, and everyone wants to be a part of something that's larger than themselves. If you lead in your life, if you just lead one person and share the love of Christ with them, and they receive that, that one person can be a life changer to the world. Because that one person can change the world. These little boys, Lord, we just, we declare over them your destiny, Jesus that they will be world changers, that they have a destiny, and they will shine brightly for you, Lord Jesus. Amen. My first closing. <laughs> Let me close with a testament. It's time to go. <clears throat> Isaiah, our representative in Burundi, is a testimony of one person who said, here am I. Isaiah's mother died when he was a year and a half old. And some of you may know some of these details. I'm sure Dwight has talked about some of them, but it's worth repeating. Year and a half, his mother died. His father married another woman. She hated Isaiah. In those days, for 30 years in their recent history, uh, Burundi has gone through three civil wars. It was so bad that <clears throat> when Isaiah was 14 years old, that he left on his own by himself. He didn't, wasn't a group going. He joined a group, but he left. His brother had gone to Tanzania to a refugee camp. Isaiah, at 14 years old, made his way to Tanzania, ended up in a refugee camp there. It was a terrible experience at first. His brother was an alcoholic and began to abuse him and beat him and so forth. He finally left and went back to Burundi. But you see, Isaiah had a large assignment on his shoulders. While he was there, a pastor put his arm around him and walked with him. There were two women who took him and taught him how to pray. He went to Bible school while he was there. And then he came to a great spot of excitement in his life. He received, he was the winner of a lottery, and he could go either to Australia or to America. He was going to come to America because he had friends here. Only what's done for Christ will last. 
The Lord said, no, Isaiah, I want you to go back to Burundi because I have an assignment for you. And in Isaiah's own words, he said, you will bless me wherever I go, and you can bless me as well in Burundi as you could in Australia or America. And in faith, he went back. He began to visit ministries, large ministries. And these were men and women who didn't have biblical training, men and women who, who taught either out of their experience or the bias. And he was aghast at what they were teaching from the pulpit out of the Bible. And he cried out to the Lord, and he said, Lord, what are we going to do to change Burundi? How will we change Burundi? That was his prayer, and that was his cry. And the Lord always connects us, doesn't he? He connects us with our destiny. He connects us with partners to work with. Five years ago, going on six, we met Isaiah in Kenya. Dwight, Pastor Dwight was doing the first facilitator training. Isaiah was in that training. We awarded him a school. What we didn't realize was our school was in English. We had it in English and Spanish at that time. It was in English. They speak Karundi in Burundi. He took the, the, the material. He went back. We actually gave him a gift of money to, to, for himself to sow into because we saw something in him. And he went back and he took the money, instead of using it for his family, he began to take the notes and translate them into Karundi. We couldn't figure out why the school wasn't getting off the ground. We went there the next year, our first trip to Burundi. We found out why. And at that point, the Lord gave us native Burundians who took on the, the process, the arduous process of taking the complete curriculum, notes and videos and everything, and translating them into Karundi. They did that in 14 months, and there was a, a, people, a woman or people here who financed that, and in 14 months, the total curriculum was translated. And now it's like a wildfire going throughout Burundi because of one man answering the call. One woman answering the call. Let's stand. <clears throat> Can we just be still just for a moment? And I want you just in your own heart, wherever you're at in your journey with the Lord, you may be near the end of your journey. You may be very young at the beginning of your journey. Wherever you're at, the Lord wants to speak to you. Just simply ask him this question. Lord, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do today? Is there a change of my direction? Is there something I'm missing? Go ahead and ask him that question. Now, Heavenly Father, <clears throat> I bless your sons and daughters. Father, I thank you for this series on revival. I thank you for what you're doing in individual hearts. Lord, I pray for a passionate revelation for each of them. Wherever they're at, whatever they're dealing with, first make a way where there is no way. You're the God of the impossible. 
Whatever would be an obstacle, make it an opportunity for them. Wherever each and every one of your sons and daughters are at, speak to them, guide them, direct them, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you send forth from this house an army of disciples, anointed, filled with the word of God to touch hearts and lives in this city, in this state, in this nation, and literally to the world, Lord God. Thank you for that. We give you glory and honor for that. In your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.